0: One's not mine. <laughs> All right, let me pray and then we'll dig right into this. Father, bless these words. Speak to our hearts and change our lives. In your precious name we pray. Amen. I'm going to try to move briskly through this, but give the kids just enough time to get through it as well. Um, children are studying the same thing we are, which is the chapter one of the Gospel of John. I titled this message, Come and See. And you will see why I titled it that once we get to that part. Um, and so, because this is the first chapter, we need to get a little bit of preamble kind of stuff. Just about the book of John. And, and since we're going to take the whole springtime to go through this, uh, you'll have plenty of time to check out some of the stuff you know, that I'm going to talk about. But one, a couple of things I want you to remember as we're studying through this. One, that this is an ancient book written to an ancient audience. Okay, when I say ancient, it's like best guess written somewhere around like 90 A.D. So it's about 2,000 years old, or two, you know. And so um, they thought, some people had thought, I guess, that it might have been later than that, that it was written down. But then they found a copy or pieces of it that were <laughs> like from A.D. 100. They're like, oh, I guess it was around at that point, you know. So it's, it's written um, uh, by the Apostle John. And uh, probably what happened is he wrote down everything and then some of his guys, we would call it editing now, got it to fit onto a scroll, you know what I mean? Because like they were kind of like how we are where, you know, there are some standards, you know, I was reading about it and they were saying how it's interesting when you look at the Greek that a lot of these books fit into standard like that's a one scroll book, meaning it has this many thousand words in it because that's how many you could write on a scroll that long and then you could have a double one you know but it got expensive you know so you kind of they ended up kind of standardizing a lot of things and so you find a lot of people what they did up doing is writing down a lot of stuff on scraps I guess and then they go okay well now we're gonna actually start copying these out to go out you would have to kind of redact things and you know and so uh There's no evidence, like nobody knows, it's John wrote this stuff, they organized it, we have it, it's good, but you're going to find out as we go through this, that this gospel is kind of different than the other three. The other three kind of have a lot of stuff in common, and then this one's different. (laughs) And things seem to happen at different times, or just different details of stories and stuff like that. And you go, well, why is that? Because some people I've watched over the years, sometimes stuff like this really bothers people. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought that Peter did this, you know. Like, you can even see this one today. Like, the story of Jesus meeting Peter for the first time is kind of almost skipped over in this, you know what I mean? But in the other Gospels, you see this whole story of Jesus, and he borrows a boat, and he goes out and he preaches, and then he's like, hey, throw the... the We've talked about this recently. Throw the net in, you know, you're going to get all the fish and all this kind of stuff. So you're like, well, why is this one different? Why is it so different? And that's the reason I was saying it's an ancient book to an ancient audience, and here's why that matters. Because biographies at that time follow different sets of rules than ours do now. Like, we would think that, because this is a book about things that happened, like historical things, and it was written in such a way to teach things, okay? And those aren't exactly the same goal. Because what he wants you to see through this is, this is a list of things that happened, but I want you from studying that to understand certain things about these people, Okay, we do stuff like this now. I even heard an interview with the documentary since I'm a nerd, documentary filmmaker Ken Burns who made the Civil War and everything. He was talking about how he runs into this because he's trying to make something that's going to like be entertaining and sell on TV or whatever, but he's trying to also be truthful, you know. And so you sometimes run into like Oh wow, this is this whole story about this civil war general is getting really interesting and then the guy like dies or something like that. And you're like, oh man, you know, like you know, if you were writing a movie about it, you would change that. Like, well, you know, maybe he's, you know, this kind of thing. Or you hear when a movie's based on a true story, they kind of these three people were combined into one guy or something like that, you know. And that's not exactly what these guys are doing is he's trying to say, this is stuff that happened but I need you to understand some things from these things. So sometimes he would shift the order of things, or things would move around a little bit for that purpose, and it's okay. People back then didn't go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You left out this whole thing about Peter. And he was like, I don't need you to know that. I need you to know this, you see. And you could have different reasons. And there's a, and later when they made the Bible, there's a reason they left all four in there. You know what I mean? So they all work together. But um, I invite you, you know, take a look at these things. Like when we... When we read across the story, you go, "I don't feel like I remember that that way. It's probably because you're remembering the version in Luke or Matthew or something like that, and that actually kind of if you really want to get into it, lends towards the authenticity of this whole thing because if we were faking it, <laughs> we would just copy each other and write down the exact same thing. You see what I'm saying so um the fact that these were written to different audiences at different times for different purposes and then end up reading slightly differently now actually adds. To the argument that they're authentic, but we're going to teach this as John the apostle is writing this book for the sake of chronologizing the story of Jesus. And when we say gospel, what we're saying is the story of Jesus. And so this is the story of Jesus according to the apostle John, who was one of the disciples. Okay, and we'll get into some of those uh, some of those details maybe in more, more more depth if we run into a thing that you know catches us up or something like that. But the first part, this first chapter, which I'm just going to kind of read through and make commentary on, um, is broken down into kind of three parts. The first one is just kind of introduction that Jesus is God. The second one is John the Baptist's witness. John the Baptist is not the Apostle John. There's a lot of Johns going on. Just make sure that we know that. That John is not this John. And it's not John Francis either. You know, he doesn't spell his with an H, so... You wouldn't be as confused. Um, and uh, and then the, so, okay, let me start over. <laughs> first part is introducing, introduction to Jesus as God. The second part is witness of John the Baptist. And the third part is this kind of look and come and see part. So the first part, part one, intro, Jesus is God. Verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Notice how the word is capitalized. The word word is capitalized. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, this is like an old hymn that they kind of, you know, that's why even in English it still kind of almost rhymes, and these words are repetitive and everything. There's a rhythm to it. And what this is doing is he's make in this first section, John, the Apostle John is really wanting to make this really clear point, which we're going to go, yeah, duh, I know, but we need to see this, is that Jesus is God, okay? Jesus is God, and I need to make that point a lot over and over again here. And he's even going back to using Genesis 1 language. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see this sort of thing? Like, he's doing that on purpose. None of this stuff is accidental. Um, He's wanting to make sure you understand that Jesus was with God at the beginning, and He is God, and everything was made through him and that 's mysterious, but it 's definitely something he's trying to put in because you you like the idea especially if you 've never heard of anything like this, like you're saying a human being is God, you see how that could be weird for people you know so he's trying to make the case for that and make and make sure everybody understands that before we move into the rest of it verse six, there was a man. Sent from God whose name was John, this is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which is his own, he is the Jewish people, but they didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So again, he's using more Genesis imagery here about darkness and light. And he's saying that those that believe and follow the light of Jesus can become children of God. That's a gift. It's not just a done. You see what I'm saying? This is not like you don't just get that because you were born. Like, that's a gift. And he's saying not that anybody can have this, not just ones that are naturally Hebrew, you see. It's, it's, it's opening up this salvation to everyone. Verse 14, the word became flesh. So there it goes. God came into a human body and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, was full of grace and truth. So this word... Um, Becoming flesh is a very hard thing for people to grasp. Um, Craig Keener said this that most Jews so emphasized that a man could not become God that 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 they never considered that God might become a man you're like, oh yeah, I guess it could work the other way, you know like we can 't attain it, but God could and so that's how he 's starting to frame the whole story okay, and that God shows his glory in his first coming through dwelling with man this dwelling word is tabernacle you know we talked about the feast before him tabernacling with us or the tabernacle in the wilderness that that he's drawing on all of these images this is all exodus language that he's pulling in now so he had genesis language about creation and the word and now he's into exodus language and he's talking about the hebrew people and being in the wilderness like we live in the wilderness now we're talking about but god is tabernacled with them he's tabernacling with you know and uh but he, God shows his glory in his first coming through dwelling with man, not with the expected spectacle. You know, so often um, I definitely fit in that category of expecting a spectacle from God. It's very easy when there's a spectacle going on. We're like, well, God did that. Because, see, it's like fireworks and things, you know. Um, but this shows the importance of, shows his covenant importance of love, like what we talked about last week, that, like, you could do all these great spectacles, but if you don't have love, then, like, it's, it's either annoying or bad or, or worse, you know. And so um, he's still just establishing this fact that Jesus is God in ways people would understand. And then it goes on, and then in, this is in parentheses. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, this is the one I spoke about when I, when I said, he who comes after me surpassed me because he was before me. And the verse 16, out of his fullness... We have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law, and this is, what does that mean? We've received grace upon the grace that's already given. Um, The law was given through Moses, that's grace. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the new grace received. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is closest relationship with the Father, has made him known, Okay. So, this man that we're going to, this whole book is going to be about, Jesus, is in fact God in the flesh, and we're going to understand that framework in this Hebrew story of the entire Old Testament. That's what this whole section has done, okay? And then we move on to point two, which you might have noticed. You're like, why does John the Baptist keep coming up every once in a while? And he's like, yeah, John's not this. John was saying this. John's not that. And this is where the second part comes in, which is a witness of John the Baptist. And this is where I was saying about a historical group book or an ancient book to an ancient audience, there's a lot of people who think, and it seems to add up to me, that one of the things that John the Apostle was trying to do, and his guys, was try to make sure there were still people hanging on that maybe thought John the Baptist was Jesus. There were still these people floating around, you know, and so they're trying to just make it very clear, like, when we're saying this, we're not talking about that guy, (laughs) you know, that guy's good, we're about to get into that, but he's not Jesus, okay? So, they stick these things parenthetically even in there where it's like, just to be clear, not John the Baptist, right? no like, yes. And they're like, just to be clear, you know, and they keep doing that. But then they move into the second phase, which kind of does all of that. It honors John, but it still puts him under Jesus, which is important for everybody to know. Verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony. And that's the interesting thing, because when he's writing this, he keeps putting this even in John's own words, which is what John would have said. It's what he did say. I'm not I am not Jesus, okay? This will be important later for one of the last points that I need to make. So I am not Jesus is this whole second point. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. So now he's saying it even in the story itself. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, he's, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied with the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, we talked about this only last month during Advent, kind of a lot, (laughs) about who John the Baptist was, what he was doing, and making, making way for Jesus. So I don't need to go through this again. Totally. But I do want to clarify a couple of things because people are trying to figure out what's going on. And I think that kind of sounds like us now. Like these people did live 2000 years ago, but they're not like all that different than us. It's still not always obvious what God's doing. And, you know, these people are trying to figure it out probably in some sort of, you know, they're not totally just, you know, it's like when Herod says to the the wise men, which we just passed epiphany if you, you know, do church calendary stuff. And there, he's like, tell me if you find the baby, because then I'll go to worship him. And it's like, no, you won't. You want to kill him. You know what I mean? And so uh, that's probably is a little what's going on here. They're like, these guys have sent us to figure out who you are, because you're doing stuff, and we want to know. But they ask him questions, like, are you Elijah? And w- as we talked about before, that's referencing Malachi 4, where there was a prophecy that they all knew. It says this, see, I will send a prophet, the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And here he's saying, I'm not that. You know, but then we, we talked about this about a month ago, that Jesus later declares that he was. You know, and you'll even see that um, you might remember that when Gabriel, the angel, came to speak over... Zechariah, his father, they're like, you're going to have a son, and he's going to do this. He actually references this scripture. He says, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to, their Lord, to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. And then when he says the prophet, you go like, well, who's the prophet? That's referencing Deuteronomy 18.15, which was something spoken to Moses. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, this is Moses talking from among you, and your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, for this is what you asked for the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command them. Now, this is a, most people interpreted this at the time and even now as being fulfilled by Jesus. So that Jesus is this foretold through Moses that, you know, and that even kind of goes back to that grace upon grace thing and all. And so um, he's putting together a pretty big picture of how important, everything we're about to talk about is in the rest of this book and uh, but the thing that's interesting about john the baptist that i want to go back to is like you know he was jesus cousin we talked about this a lot last month and he did know what he was to do he may not have fully known like his role as elijah to prepare you know he might not have fully grasped all of that you know because he's saying he's not that you know he's like no i'm john and jesus later is like yeah you are. but like his dad who, if you remember, the angel comes and says, hey, you're going to have a kid. He's like, yeah, but I'm like old, so it's probably not going to happen. he's like, okay, well, then you're not going to speak then until it comes. And then when he finally comes and says, his name is John, like the angel said, he can talk again. And then he prays this prayer over John the Baptist. And he says this, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now, that's in Luke again. So you need all these things together to fully understand this picture here, that he knew what he was to do. He's to get people ready. He's known an angel has come and foretold his birth. His birth is a miracle, and his job is to get people ready for meeting Jesus. So that's what he's doing. And he doesn't have to understand every single detail about God's epic everything for that to happen. He knows he needs to do this, and he does it. And even when people come and question him, they're like, who are you? He's like, I just know I'm supposed to make things ready. All right. So let's continue on. I'm going to draw all these into some points at the end, okay? So now the Pharise- this is verse 24. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah nor Elijah or the prophet? And I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. Remember this part, okay? Among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John the Baptist is out in the wilderness again. We're out in the wilderness again, and he's baptizing people, saying, hey, repent, baptize, get your life in order, because the king is coming. And we find so much commonality to where we live now with that message. And like I said, we talked about it last month, so I don't want to get too far into it, but he's John the Apostle, and in in, as organizing this book is laying out. um Yes, this man that we're going to talk about in this book is God, this Jesus, and then this is a person that came before him to get people ready, and then now we're going to start to see what happens as he starts to show. Because we don't, this book doesn't have the whole, you know, Christmas story. That's all in Luke and stuff like that. You know what I mean? He's starting with Jesus as a grown man. He's like thirty in this. You know. The next day, this is verse 29, this is the third part, come and see, all right? Come and see in a witness to the light. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant, this is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me, has surpassed me because he was before me. So now he's referencing back to the stuff that we've already read. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. He was making things ready. John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain See, the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So he's starting to reference the Lamb of God. He's referencing the Passover Lamb. He's referencing the sacrificial Lamb of the Old Testament. All of these things that have been laid out now for hundreds of years that all of these people will hear and know, like, wow, you know. But something different is happening right now. You know, so it's got a framework that he can work with, but now it's moving into a different, a different place. The next day, John was here again with his two disciples, and he saw Jesus passing, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God, here that is again. And When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? This is an interesting question that Jesus tends to ask people. What do you want? Do you know the answer to that question? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Which, I don't know if that's, I don't know what that's all about. I could just be like, oh, no, <laughs> i got to say something. That's probably not what that was. But, you know, it's funny to me to think of it that way. They're like, oh, what did you have for lunch? You know, I'm just kidding. But, like, where are you staying? He's like, come. But here's what he says. This is what I was asking. This, Come. Come, he replied, and you will see. So come and see. He's like, "What do you? what do you want? And they're like. This is like, well, come and see. Pay attention to that. So they went and saw where he was was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called... Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. And so that's that's what I was saying. Like that's different than the other gospels tell, where Jesus follows him, he meets him on the side of the. But it's not like totally against that. But here's the other thing that they were saying as I was reading about this is that you know John the apostle at the time was probably trying to de-emphasize John the Baptist for the sake of people who were worshiping John the Baptist, which John the Baptist wouldn't be okay with. You see what I'm saying? So he's saying, guys. He's not the Messiah. So that first chunk, he kept repeating that over and over again. A lot of people think the same thing was going on here with Peter, because Peter's such a big deal in the early church. He's the rock that Jesus builds, you know, this whole thing, in Acts, the whole thing. That some people, and you even see it later in Paul's letters, where people are like, I'm a follower of Peter. And Paul's like, what are you talking about? Like, you're going to follow, like, I didn't die for your sins. Because some people are saying, I'm a follower of Paul, or the other guy, Apollos, we talked about in Acts, you know. And Paul's like, why would you? Do that. You know what I mean? And to be honest, a lot of us tend to do this, even in the church and stuff like that. We go like, well, I'm of this person or I'm of that person. You know, and he's kind of saying so a lot of people what they think is going on here is he's trying to de-peter it a little bit. You know, he's like, This is getting a little too petery. You know, we need to be stuck on Jesus, not on all these other guys, which are good and important and right people. But he's just saying, like, we're just gonna kind of move on from that. We need that guy in the story, but we don't need him. We don't need the whole thing because you Peter people get all weird about it, you know. And so um, that's probably what's going on there. And uh, so, yeah, so I think that's interesting. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the, the one Moses wrote about in the law. <laughs> and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth the son of Joseph. So that's, a, that's like a big claim. You know, you can read right over that quickly like I did. And like, we've found the Messiah. We've found God in flesh who we've been waiting on for quite some time while being oppressed by other people. Do you want to meet him? You know, I would be uh, suspicious of that. I'd be like, yeah, sure you did. You know what I mean? Which you see here. He's like, because he's like, it's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, you know, which is also like maybe a guy you knew, you know what I mean? Or you knew people who knew. So it's kind of like, wait a minute, like (laughs) you found God and he's like this guy, you know what I mean? And so that's the kind of response you see from Nathaniel, I think. He's like, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And uh, Nathaniel, and and then here's the same response. Philip says, come and see. So remember, like, how many times have we now heard that? A couple times, come and see, come and see. He's like, and so, how do you know me? Oh, sorry, sorry. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, truly, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Uh, How do you know me, Nathanael said, or Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. It's like, whoa. So Nathanael's like, whoa, okay, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. <laughs> because he told him that, all right, you know, which he goes from being like the most like, come on, man, that guy from what, you know, to, oh, definitely the son of God, you know, from this one little thing. And this is what Jesus is saying. Keep in mind, we're saying, come and see, come and see, come and see. This is the whole thing. Or John the Baptist says, look. So he's telling people to look, you know. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? He's like, you will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, that's a reference. That's a deep cut kind of reference to Jacob's ladder from the Old Testament. And everybody knew that. That's not like they would go, are you sure? He's like, Yeah, that's what he's talking about. So that's a big deal thing to say about yourself. And that's actually the end of this thing. So now I want to just talk about this. So the two points that we need to take from this today um, can be summarized kind of like this, where it's like the first part being kind of like look or come and see, and the second part being a witness to the light like John. So it's a come and see and witness. This, I think, is the book invites us on this journey. This is our Christian role We're just like John the Baptist. Jesus says later, "There's not a person that's been born that's as good as this guy. Like it's a good dude, all right." And even he didn't quite fully get what he was doing, but he was obedient to what he knew. And the point that uh, the correction maybe is the first part of this is a lot of us tend to feel this need to. prove something okay like for example you're like hey we've just met g we've found god they are like come on man nazareth they don't go oh yeah well nazareth's a cool place and you don't even know anything and you're you know like that kind of you see what i'm saying that's kind of how people get about stuff you don't even know what you're talking about he's just like well then you go see you know what i mean like the thing is this open-ended the answer to this stuff is come and see. Or as John says, look, you could, you could be like, nah, I don't feel like it, which people are a lot. Like I'd rather just look at my phone and play, you know, I don't want to really engage. So John's saying, look, he's right here. <laughs> look, you know, like, I don't want to do that, you know. And then the other response is when people are challenging you, Or challenging, or, you know, they're like, hey, what are you even doing? He's like, just come and see. You know, Jesus has this extreme confidence. He's like, these things take care of themselves, guys. Like, I don't have to prove anything, (laughs) you know. Did you read the beginning part of this? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. All things were made through him. He's not walking around going like, gee, I really hope I can convince everyone that I'm actually powerful, you know what I mean? So come and see, it's an invitation. Come and see and then then once you do see, just like these guys do. John the Baptist, the early disciples, Philip, all these guys they're Andrew, they're telling they're they're witnessing about it. John the Baptist is saying, that's him. That's the guy. And he tells you how he knows, you know, these other guys are like, hey, we found God finally among us. High, high, that's a high bar cell, you know, and they're going and they're, and they're like, come on, like, we, we need to tell other people about this. It's not my little, little secret thing that I can just keep for myself. Our culture says, like, you know, that's your truth, this is my truth, or, you know, you can believe that if you want to believe that. I'm going to believe this, you know. I even heard somebody talking about, like <laughs> – facts this week like they're not sharing facts from both sides I was like facts don't have side well anyway whatever you get the point the the idea is like you know um that you have to uh i'm sorry i got distracted by that the uh you know what i'm trying to say the the point is that you get this invitation and then you experience jesus and then you tell other people about it that's it you don't got to get the whole thing if John the Baptist didn't get the whole thing, you ain't going to get it, you know what I mean? But you can get your part, and that's probably all that's necessary, because frankly, this kind of exchange that Jesus has with uh, Nathaniel, I've seen a lot, these extremely skeptical person about something God's doing or something God's done or something about God, or something blah, blah blah, whatever. And then they encounter like this really crappy version of it, and they're like, "Oh my gosh this is the best thing ever in my entire life. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, like, I've had things like that before. I'll be like, I want to invite this person to this prayer thing, but it'll probably weird them out because it's weird or, you know. And then I'm like, but it's powerful. It's really powerful. I really want them to experience God or something like that. And then they like, we'll invite them finally, and then they'll come, and it'll be like, you know. I remember back in college doing this a lot. And it would be like, uh, like, just not good at all. You know what I mean? Like, somebody would, uh, people would pray, For each other and God would tell them things kind of like what he did with Jesus you know like tell them things about people's lives a lot of times we call that word of knowledge which I don't actually think that's what that was but knowing things the Bible says through the spirit you will know things that have happened that you couldn't know you know and so people would come and like they would pray you know and God would tell them things and it would change people's lives like that God saw me because you there's no way for you to know that but God told you that and somehow you would you know and be like man I really need my friend to experience this so like I kind of like invite them into this like this will be great. And then, like, somebody, like, nothing like that would happen at all. He'd be like, you know, just hear that God loves you. Like, that's not, that's, like, an obvious one. You know, and then the person's, like, weeping and their whole life has changed, you know. And you could say back, kind of like what Jesus is saying, he's like, well, if you're convinced by that, you know, you're going to see a lot more than this. And that's the thing that I think God is laying before us. Come and see, witness what you have, and you don't even know where this thing is because it goes way deeper than you know. And that should give us hope, because I would like to keep talking about things, but this is where it ends, and we 're going to be <laughs> faithful to this uh, um, to this scripture we 're going to just go with what it ge- gives us and pre- preach on what it preaches us. but we need to the, the thing that I really felt an invitation from God is through this method, come and see and witness is that he is going to give us, and when I say us, I mean us as a church, us as the people who are engaging in studying this gospel. this is a gospel. The story of Jesus according to the Apostle John, okay? Now, I think that a lot of us have stories about Jesus as well that we believe. And hear me out on this. I don't know if I would say the gospel according to, you know, because there's a good version of that. Like me telling what I know about Jesus is, in a sense, a gospel And in a sense, that's what I'm literally telling us to do is experience things with Jesus and tell other people about it. I mean, that's your testimony and all that kind of thing. But there's going to be, there have been, and there are, and I think right now, within us right now, myself included, there are things about God we think are true that aren't. And that matters at like an ultimate level. A.W. Tozer has this famous quote. It says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm going to read that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So, getting that right is important. So, so if you think about things, about if you have thoughts in your head about God that are wrong, it's helpful to find those things and straighten those things out because you do and can think all sorts of crazy things. I mean, we all do, you know, for all sorts of reasons. You might have grown up where somebody told you that God is this and that away and you're a kid, so why would you doubt that? You're like, I guess they're right. But what if they weren't? What if you're making decisions, major decisions in your life based on things like this, and not maybe like literally. Usually this stuff floats around in the background, you know, and it kind of just affects the decisions you make or the way you feel, or how you, what you know about life and good things, like, you know, deep things, right and wrong, good and bad. And what if those things aren't accurate and lead you to make bad decisions or wrong decisions or hurtful decisions? or you, I don't know. I mean, and what I sense from the Lord in this is, if we're willing, if we're willing, that he's inviting us on a journey to encounter the real Jesus. And I phrased it like this the other day, is that, you know, if I was standing up here and telling you guys about, like my wife, for example, and I said, you know, Carrie really loves, <laughs> I'm trying to think, Carrie <laughs> really loves cider with cloves in it. <laughs> and I could just start telling you about it, all this stuff, you'd be like, okay, whatever, that sounds sounds good and then she says like actually I don't really like that And I go no no she does like I, I've, I've read about it she loves clothes it's awesome and she's like no I don't you know you see how like who would you believe yeah exactly like if I'm sitting here and being like yeah she loves it trust me I've read the book you know I, I know and she's like yeah but I don't like I'm I'm right here you know when you think of Jesus as like some guy who lived two thousand years ago, you can kind of get into this territory. Like I've read the book; I see how he is. You know, this guy in this story being God and all. <laughs> sorry for the spoiler alert, but he rose from the dead at the end. He's not dead right now. And so the tr- like I say like the trouble with Jesus is is he's alive. He might disagree with you <laughs> if you say if you think something wrong about it. Now, hear that as a good thing, you know. His disagreement with you could come as like a slap in the face, which it does for some people, but it also is really at the end good because he wants you to know the truth. And I think that God is laying for us a, an invitation to encounter him through this story in the Gospel of John, that who is Jesus? What is he really like? And I'd say was, is. What is he really like? Because what Jesus is really like is what God is really like. And that's who he's calling us to be like. So... I would like to say more, but I feel like that scene in The NeverEnding Story when the kid like starts eating his sandwich and he's like, not too much. We still have a long way to go. And he like puts it back down. <laughs> Some of y'all haven't watched that in a while. <laughs> That's how I feel right now. It's like, not too much. We still have a long way to go. But I want to end today. We're going to end different than we normally do. I'm going to invite Steve and Marianne and Kevin And people, you know, to come up and pray. I I said last week that uh, I wanted us to be spending more time in prayer corporately and on an individual basis. Um, We don't need to move at some sort of alarming pace. I'm definitely, I will confess, and and I think it matters that you at least know this to some level, um, as the pastor of this church, I struggle with being impatient. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's do it all right now, you know, and the Lord um, seems to move at the pace that he likes, which, you know, <laughs> is right. <laughs> so, here's what I want to end the service with. These Y'all come on up. I am going to have these guys be available to pray. If anything that I've talked about at all has stirred anything in you and you need to, we don't, need, we don't even need a song, I don't think. We're going to do this differently. Um, I didn't tell everybody this. We're going to have time of prayer at the end, and... If you need prayer for anything, I want you to come forward. We need to start understanding. This is probably one of the greatest gifts you can get. We have gifted people that can pray for you, and the Lord's going to be moving through these kinds of times of prayer. And if what I talked about had absolutely nothing to do with anything that's going on in your life, but something else is, come forward and get prayer for that, okay? We don't need to, like, you know... Jeff used to say, don't make, don't make me name it, you know what I mean? Like, if you're dealing with something completely unrelated, it doesn't matter. It's time. That what we need to start doing is seeing how important that God wants, to, God wants to connect with your heart. And one of the important ways to do that is through these times of prayer. We want to be praying more corporately. We want to be praying more on an individual or, you know, one-on-one type basis, and even in times that have nothing to do with our service, mostly in those kinds of times. But I want you to reflect on this. At the end, I'm going to ask them to play the prayer music, and I'm just going to pray and close the service now, but leave it as a soft ending where if you want prayer to come forward and there's people to pray, and we'll take as long as we need to. But if you need to go, you can. Okay. But remember that the verse I said to remember in John 1, 26, says, John the Baptist was saying, but among you stands one you do not know. I sense as I was reading that, that um, probably that, kind, that verse could describe the condition of a lot of us. That we've been around church for a long time. We've been doing godlike stuff or churchy things. But among us stands someone we don't know. And it's time for us to know. And he wants you to know. And he's saying to you, come and see. Come and see what I'm like. And when the people around you say, look, that's him, you know, to look. So go ahead and play the prayer music. I'm going to pray, and then if you need prayer for anything, come forward. And if not, um, maybe to spend a moment reflecting on this, uh, this invitation from the Lord to come and see and the willingness to witness um, witness what you do know. Which may be very small, but it's still something. Because it says the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. That any amount of light is uh overpowers all the darkness. So, Father, I pray that you would teach us who you are. That you would lead us as we as we follow you like the early disciples, like John the Baptist, as we prepare others to meet you, that you would, in fact, come. And when you do come, we can say, look, there he is, that's the one, that's the guy. And as we follow you and that we come to you and see what you're like, that you show us what you're like. I pray for revelation of the king of the universe in this place and in our hearts. Lord, we thank you For your love for us and pray that you would pour out your spirit on us as we journey through this time in jesus name amen so definitely feel free to come forward for prayer or if you need to as you're heading out you haven't got one of these books yet feel free to stop by the back table and pick one up and uh yeah amen